Amen. Amen. Good to see all of you this evening. Acts chapter 25. And we want to finish in Acts strong, but I do want to start getting you ready for the next series. It will begin in a month from tonight. It's a series in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. It's all about living in light of the return of Christ. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, we saw where the angel came after Jesus had ascended and said to his followers, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This Jesus, whom you saw ascend in this manner, is going to come back in like manner. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'm coming back to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said, one of the last verses in the book of Revelation in the Bible is Jesus saying, yes, I am coming quickly. So we need to be living in light of the return of Jesus. And that's what this series in First and Second Thessalonians is all about. I'm excited for it. I think it'll be a great encouragement to you. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with you beginning a month from tonight. But tonight, we are in Acts chapter 25. And as we get ready to go into Acts chapter 25, I was thinking about this verse from the book of Proverbs today. I think it definitely fits the season of life that Paul is in right now. And here's that verse. It says, a person's gift makes room for him and brings him before important people. Okay? A person's gift brings makes room for him and brings him before important people. In the last couple of weeks and in these next couple of messages, we see Paul standing before Felix, a Roman official. Tonight he's going to stand before Festus, another Roman official. And then we're also going to see next week he stands before a Jewish official, King Agrippa and his wife, Bernice. And in all of these instances, Paul is standing boldly and courageously and being a faithful witness. He is sharing his testimony. He is sharing the reality of God, and God is giving him an amazing opportunity to stand before all of these people because obviously these people aren't the only ones in the room. There's a lot of court officials and other people who are in, within earshot of listening to the Apostle Paul. And so it's just a good reminder to us that, that we all need to be ready to be that witness when God calls us to be a witness, when God gives us that opportunity to step up and to stand up for him and to share our testimony. We need to be courageous and be willing to do it. And I'll even say this, I believe that 2024 is going to be a monumental year for many reasons, but one is, I think it's, I think it's going to be a great year of opportunity for evangelism. I really believe that. I, I believe that, that I'm already seeing people's hearts becoming more open to the gospel and to the things of God. Um, and I think you and I have a great opportunity this year 
to, to be witnesses. And, and I'm hoping that we as a church will step up and take those opportunities uh, when God gives them to us to, to share our faith and, and to share the gospel with those who are lost because I do believe that we need to live in light of the return of Christ and that we need to make sure we are praying for our unsaved you know, relatives and friends and coworkers and all of that. And we, we need to be faithful to do that because I think the time is drawing short for us to have that opportunity to be a light to them. So think about all of that in light of where we are in Acts 25. You'll notice here that Felix has sort of now passed off leadership to Festus. And you would think that in the Roman Empire that they would have a lot more issues to, that, that would be prevalent and prominent on their to-do list than take care of Paul. But this shows how the witness of Paul has really stirred things up in the Roman Empire and even amongst the leadership of the Jewish nation. So notice, three days after Festus arrives in the province, he goes up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and most prominent men of the Jews brought formal charges against Paul to him, requesting him to do them a favor against Paul. And they urged Festus to summon him to Jerusalem because their whole plan all along was to do what? Kill him. They have not given up their desire to kill Paul, to get rid of him. He, he's causing too much trouble. But notice that God is using this Roman official Festus, and we're going to talk about this tonight, and how Festus replied to them, nope, nope, Paul is being kept at Caesarea, and he himself intended to go there shortly. So he says to the leaders of the Jewish nation, you go down there with me, and if this man has done anything wrong, they can bring charges formally against him there. I want to direct your attention to these four words in verse 4. Paul was being kept. It means to guard by keeping an eye on. And obviously Festus was talking about Roman soldiers, the Roman Empire. Hey, we're keeping Paul. We're guarding him. Nothing's going to happen to, to him until we say so and, and give the go-ahead, right? And they think in their minds they're the keepers of Paul. No, no, no. God is the keeper of Paul. God is our keeper. And God can use anybody or anything that he wants to. And here, at this time, God is even using the Roman Empire to, in a sense, guard Paul from his own people who want to kill him. Think about that. God is using the Roman Empire to guard Paul and keep him safe from his own people. God's our keeper. And we can live confidently in that. We've talked a lot about that in the series of David, where David sees God hedging him about, surrounding him, being his refuge, his, his shelter, his shield. Nothing was going to get to David until God wanted it to or until God allowed it to. Nothing or no one was going to get to Paul 
until it was God's purpose and God's plan. And the same thing is true with each of us here tonight. There is no one or nothing that can touch us unless it first goes through the loving hands of our God. And if God allows something or someone to touch us, then God has a greater purpose for it. It may have to do with us, as we've talked about. It may have to do with someone else or something else. But we must remember that God is our keeper. And we can be confident in that. Verse 6, after Festus had stayed not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he sat on the judgment seat and ordered Paul to be brought. Those words, the judgment seat, just flew off the page at me because it is a reminder that here Paul is standing before a Roman official, and this Roman official is taking his place on the judgment seat. Let's stop here for a moment. We need to talk about this because there is a judgment seat that awaits every one of us tonight. But it's not the great white throne judgment. None of us are ever going to have to stand before the, a judgment seat and be judged for our sin. Our sin has been completely paid for and judged on the cross of Jesus Christ. And you and I have our sins forgiven. Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full. And you and I stand here robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, bathed in his blood, and when the Father looks at us, he looks at us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we'll never be judged for our sin. But that doesn't mean there's not a judgment seat that awaits us. So I want to take a few minutes tonight, since this is such an important topic. Keep your finger in Acts 25, and let's go to a couple verses tonight. First of all, Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. Romans chapter 14 in verse 10, in this context, Paul is trying to tell the Romans to stop judging each other. And one of the motivations he gives them for not judging each other in Rome is that they have plenty to take care of on their own, themselves. Because notice what he says in verse 10. You who eat vegetables only, why do you judge your brother or sister? And you who eat everything, why do you despise your brother or sister? There's going to be diversity and there's going to be liberty in the body of Christ. And not everyone is going to express their worship of God in the same way. But then notice what he said. We will all personally stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 12. Therefore, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Answers and explanations. Well, if we're not judged for our sin, then what is the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ? Not the great white throne judgment where unbelievers are judged, but the Bema judgment of Christ. We are being judged there for how we've lived our Christian life. 
for what we have done with our time, our talent, and our treasure? Have we seized the opportunities that God has given us in this life? Have we been faithful? These are the things we're going to give an account for before God. Not in the sense of judging our sin, but as far as rewarding us or experiencing loss of reward for how we've lived our Christian life. Every Christian is going to have to stand before the judgment seat of God. Then turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Paul says, For we must all, every last one of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or evil. And I also shared this with you last week. Before the judgment seat of Christ, my service will not be judged by how much I have done, but by how much of me there is in it. In fact, I'll share this tonight. If the devil can't make a Christian bad, he makes them busy. Doing all kinds of stuff. Because we've got to learn that we've got to first be before we do. And we've got to get back to being before we... It's not that we're not doing, but that we've got... Again, the Mary and Martha picture. Okay? And then one other, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, and verse 12. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to pay each one individually according to what he has done. See, that's why Paul says what he does to the Romans. He's saying, look, you're not going to stand before Jesus and give an account for someone else. You're only going to give an account for you. But each one of us will give an account of themselves to God. And as Paul was saying to the Romans, it's like, that's a full-time job, just making sure each of us is where we need to be instead of spending so much time being critical and judging other Christians, it's a full-time job just keeping each of us straight. Because we're all going to have to stand before God and give that account. And this is where I want to say this. The whole truth of the judgment seat of Christ should be an everyday motivation and inspiration for us to make the most of the life God gives us here on this earth as followers of Jesus. Because I hear so many Christians say, well, all that matters to me is that I just get there. If that's your mindset, you have totally missed it as far as God's intention and purpose for us being saved. He didn't just save us so that we could just sort of get into heaven and just make it there. He wants us to understand that literally, and I hope you hear me today, our 
responsibilities, our roles in the millennial kingdom of Christ for a thousand years on this earth, and our roles and responsibilities throughout eternity is going to be based on our Christian life here and now. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. And that's why Christians are not going to be equally rewarded. We are equally saved, and we're going to go to the same place, but our place, our role, our responsibility, all of that is all based on what we've done with what God has given us. Think of all those parables that Jesus talks about. I gave this person five talents, and they earned five talents, and so I gave them rulership and reign over so much more in eternity, you see. We need to realize that. So when you see the words, the judgment seat, first of all, it should humble us and make us so grateful and thankful that you and I will never have to fear standing before the judgment seat of God and being judged for our sin. Christ already did that for us. But that doesn't mean there's not a judgment seat for us. There absolutely is. It's very clearly taught in Scripture many, many times. And Jesus is going to reward us for how we have lived our life on this earth. All right, back to the book of Acts. What Festus was trying to do was to get Paul to be willing to go to Jerusalem and to let the Jewish leaders deal with him and that he could wash his hands of it because he didn't want to deal with it. So he's trying, notice in verse 9, to do the Jews a favor, asking Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem? And Paul replied, verse 10, I am standing before Caesar's judgment seat where I should be tried. I've done nothing wrong to the Jews, as you also know very well. If then I am in the wrong and have done nothing that deserves death, I am not trying to escape dying, but if not one of their charges against me is true, no, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar which was a Roman's right, a Roman citizen's right. And he was a Roman citizen. He could appeal to Caesar. Now listen, Paul wasn't trying to evade justice. He actually was demanding justice. But now think about this. In his mind, he's doing a couple things. He doesn't think he's going to get justice if he stands before his own people, the Jews. But he does think the Romans will give him justice. Again, think about that. That blows my mind. That the people of God have gotten so far away from God that they will condemn, oh, wait a minute, they've already done that to Jesus. Condemn an innocent man? Yeah, the Jews have already started down that path, right? And so Paul has no confidence in the Jewish judicial system, but he actually, at this time in history, has confidence that he will have a fair trial before the Roman tribune in Rome. And he appeals to Caesar. I think another reason, though, strategically that Paul does this is he's not doing this for himself. He's doing this for the sake of the entire church. Why? 
because if things go well in Rome for him, that's going to change the whole way the church is treated in the Roman Empire at that time. And Paul knows that. He has that insight through God. So he knows that by going there, he's actually going to help the entire first century church if this goes the way he thinks it's going to go for him. It's not just going to be something that affects him. It's going to affect every other Christian in the first century up through the time until Nero sits on the throne in Rome. And then obviously you and I know from history, Nero hates the Christians and Nero turns against them. But up, up until that point, they are given much favor in the Roman Empire and Paul's sort of the firebrand that starts that. The, the point I want to make tonight from this, though, is, again, going back to those three words where Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. And that's okay. That's his right as a Roman citizen. But let's not forget, for you and I, we have one greater than Caesar to appeal to every day. And by the way, the word appeal simply means to call upon to aid and assist us. Aren't you glad that throughout your day, every moment of the day, who can we appeal to? Oh, the Most High God, the one who's on the throne of the universe. There's no one higher to appeal to than our God. And you and I have the opportunity every day, again, through our relationship with God through Christ, that we can appeal to God. We can call out and cry out and ask God to help, to assist, and to aid us. Let's never forget that privilege. As citizens of heaven, we can appeal to God. Well, after several days, verse 13, King Grippa and Bernice now arrive, and Festus begins to share with them all that's going on, right? And notice what he says in verse 16. He says, I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to hand over anyone before the accused had met his accusers face to face and basically been given a fair trial. Again, I want you to note something. God is sovereign and in the details. And what is God doing here? He's using the Romans, the Roman Empire, and the Roman government to do his will. It is a reminder to us, it doesn't matter who's in power. They still have to do the bidding of God when God says, this is what I want. The king's hand, heart is in the hand of God, and God can turn it however he wants to when it's serving his purpose. And that's exactly what God did. I mean, you think, why did Jesus come at that time in history? Why was the early church started? Because of the Pax Romana, because of the road system that the Roman Empire built. The gospel was able to get out so far at that time in history through the Roman Empire. Yeah, it wasn't all great, but my goodness, the, the peace that the Romans brought worldwide, the road system, the aqueducts, the infrastructure, all of that actually was hugely important and a positive thing for the early church to be able to do what God called them to do. So, so you think about, again, how great our God is, that God isn't even in the small details of things. God's in moving nations and governments and world empires and everything to make sure that things are, are where they need to be so that his will can be carried out by his people. So today, you and I can't say to God, God, 
we don't have the resources or your provision or you haven't created the, the right environment for us to carry out your will. That's never the case. In any time in history, God's people can always be assured that, that we have everything we need available to us to carry out all that God has for us. And the early church did as well, even the Romans. Look at verse 19. Rather, they had several points of disagreement with him, speaking of the Jews, about their own religion. I'll talk about that in a moment, but the word religion simply means, again, the way our worship is expressed, which reminds us that worship of God should be expressed. <laughs> it's not something just to be kept to ourselves. But obviously, it wasn't so much the way their worship was being expressed as much as who it was that they were worshiping. Because notice then what he goes on to say. This disagreement or contention was about their own religion. Oh, but also about a man named Jesus who was dead, but now Paul claims to be alive. That's the whole thing. It always comes back to Jesus. And the reason why the Jews had their feathers ruffled was not so much because of the way Paul was worshiping, it was who Paul was worshiping. He was a worshiper of Jesus Christ and claimed that Jesus was alive, had resurrected from the dead. And that was something that they could not stand because if that was true, then they have rejected and crucified their own Messiah. That's why Paul's on trial. Then notice verse 20, Festus says to Bernice and to Agrippa, because I was at a loss how I could investigate these matters, I asked if he were willing to go to Jerusalem and be tried there on these charges. So again, he's bringing Bernice and Agrippa up to speed on all that's going on. I want to direct your attention again to those three words in verse 20, at a loss. Why is that important? Because Festus even with all of the resources that he had available to him as an official of the Roman Empire, he felt that he was lacking, that he was without proper resources to be able to deal with this situation. I want to talk about that for a moment because I think this will be an encouragement to us tonight. We must realize we are never, as Christians, at a loss. That there is no situation you and I could ever come up against, no, nothing in this world to where, honestly, we could say before God, God, you've not given me the proper resources to deal with this. You've not given me the, the provision that I need to handle this, to navigate this. No, 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 no. We can never say that. And so I hope tonight that maybe, you know, mentally or emotionally you feel like, I'm at a loss, but, but you need to, again, speak truth to yourself and remind yourself that no matter what you are facing right now or what you're getting ready to face, none of us as God's followers are ever at a loss in this world. We have everything we need. In fact, so much so that God said, I'll come and even live inside of you. And so we have God living inside of us in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Well, when Paul, verse 21, appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of his majesty, the emperor, 
I ordered him to be kept under guard until I could send him to Caesar. So Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear about this guy and hear the words from his own lips tomorrow. And so Festus says, tomorrow, he replied, you will hear him. I want to go back, though, to these words in verse uh, 21. His majesty, the emperor. Big deal. In fact, notice in verse 23, the next day, Agrippa and Bernice, notice these words, came with great pomp. It simply means it was an outward show in order to impress. I mean, you can only imagine the pageantry, the way they were dressed, the entourage, all the, you know, fluff and everything. That, that's the way even leaders back then and, and people of prestige and power, they wanted to flaunt who they were and, and, and what they had. And it was a way of not only impressing everybody around them, but trying to intimidate them, Right? Think about that. Keep your finger there and go with me over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 24 and 25. You impressed with humanity and all the pomp and circumstance and all of that. Notice what the Bible says. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. See, even today, even Christians get impressed with all the the fluff and, and the show to impress and all of these outward external things. Like, wow, you know, as if, We're letting human beings somehow impress us, and they're just grass, and their glory is just grass. It doesn't matter all the, you know, stuff that they have and all the the kingdoms that they've built on this earth. It's going to be nothing one day, nothing. So then turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. These are good reminders for all of us. 1 John chapter 2. Notice what John writes beginning in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And what's the world doing? It's passing away with all of its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. You're doing the will of God. It matters for all of eternity. But all those who live for the glory of man and for the glory of earth pass away. I mean, you think about those words back in Acts, his majesty, the emperor. I bet there's only a couple of Roman emperors out of all the Roman emperors that ever ruled the earth that you and I can even name off the top of our head. Most of them are forgotten to history. And all the buildings that they made for themselves and all the temples that they built and all the, the, you know, the monuments that they built to honor themselves and all of that, it's going to be lost one day. I mean, let's not forget that even if it lasts up until the time of the new heaven and the new earth, 
that God says, oh, by the way, I'm destroying this heaven and this earth, and I'm going to make a new one. So everything on this earth is going to be consumed one day. It's not going to last. But those of us who do the will of God, we will abide forever. One final thing I'd like to share with you tonight out of Acts 25, if you go back there for just a moment. So notice the contrast here. Again, Agrippa and Bernice come in with all this great pomp and show and everything else. And then in verse 24, Festus says to King Agrippa, and all who were present here with us, you see this man? Now those four words might not give the impact that it should because in the original language, it's literally with a sense of wonder and awe. It's like, do you see this guy? I mean, if you ever sort of thought of, of a physical description of Paul, the best that history can do was he was this sort of slumped over, uh, looked much older than his age because life was hard and he had all these kind of physical ailments and he couldn't see and he was bald. And he, in other words, if you looked at Paul physically, you'd go, oh, there's not much there to impress. He's just this, you know, sort of hunched over guy. And, you know, and even he said, you know, I'm not very eloquent. I mean, it, Everything about Paul externally, nothing. But man, when that man opened up his mouth, I mean the Spirit of God just took over that man and that man was transformed into a, a pillar of fire for God. And no one could stand before Paul. And so even the Roman officials are like, it's like, this guy, this guy's the one that's turning the world upside down and causing the, the Roman Empire to have to, you know, deal with all that. This guy, you see this man? In a sense, Festus was saying to King Agrippa, I don't get it. What's the big deal about this guy? He doesn't look threatening at all. So one more place to turn to. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tonight, and we'll close. 1 Corinthians, because I think this is so fitting. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Paul himself, let's not forget, wrote these words. He says, think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born to a privileged position. But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. And God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing to set aside what is regarded as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. He is the reason you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that purpose, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let God be the one to get all the glory, not man. Let us live a lifestyle that exalts and glorifies God. And I love this word boast. It literally means that God is our pride and joy. 
And by the way, this word boast is a present imperative. It means this should be our lifestyle as God's people. That every day, who should be our pride and joy? God. Who are we exalting and glorifying? God. And Paul's laying it out. Why does God choose people like me, Paul says? Because look at me. I'm nothing. But God is everything. And God has made me everything. And it's because of God I am who I am, and I have everything that I'm going to have throughout eternity. The problem with most people who are wise in this world and who are powerful in this world, who are strong in this world, they think it's them. They don't give God the credit or the glory for it, for all that they have. They exalt themselves and lift themselves up. Now listen, before we part today, I want you to know as your pastor, I think I stand before the most wonderful, beautiful, strong, incredible, amazing people around. But that still means that we've got to give God all the glory. And I appreciate being the pastor of a church that is filled with what I believe is humble people who we're not coming here to exalt ourselves. We're not coming here to put on a show to impress other people. We're here to lift up our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and give him the glory because he's our pride and joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for this amazing servant, the Apostle Paul, who, Lord, was willing to stand before kings and testify about you and to you. God, may we be faithful witnesses. When you give us opportunity, God, help us to faithfully testify and witness to the reality of our God and even to the difference that you've made in our lives and our making. God, we believe we are living in monumental times, times where you are calling people to yourself like never before. And so, God, may we as a church be that lighthouse. May we, each of us, be a lighthouse wherever you put us, God, every day. And may we realize what an honor and privilege it is to exalt and glorify our God. We give you the glory, God, tonight and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. We'll see you on Sunday.